Welcome to Music, Hope, Word, and Prayer, a podcast of rich music, hopeful prayer, and inspiring meditations with East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, a community church in the greater metropolitan area of Nashville, Tennessee. We are a faith community made up of a loving, welcoming family of believers in honest conversation with God. We seek to emulate the ministry of Jesus through compassionate service, with stimulating and relevant exploration of God's Word, and by sharing that Word and God's many blessings with our neighbors in Middle Tennessee and around the world. Hey, thank you for joining us here at East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, Music, Word, Hope, and Prayer for our weekly podcast. And we're continuing with our series, Seeking Honest Questions for Deeper Faith. And we're exploring a whole bunch of questions here And the one that I'm interested in talking about today is this question of who sinned. (laughs) That's a problematic word to even talk about, this word sin. Um, But it was uh, used in a scripture passage that I'm going to be talking about. It's in the Gospel of John 9, 1 through 41. It's one of the longest exchanges in terms of a healing story of Jesus. And we're going to talk about it and see if it has any uh, application for our lives today. Is, um, and let me just go ahead and say right up front, that question, who sinned, is not a question which Jesus seems to be concerned about in this story of a man who is born blind, um, nor is, um, is Jesus that concerned about whether or not, this may be controversial, whether or not uh, where you are when it comes to sin. What Jesus is interested in is uh, his line, I have come that you might have life. And you may have it abundantly. So we're going to talk about that. And uh, uh, Nate uh, Strasser is joining me as always. And I'm going to start off by talking about whether or not uh, people uh, care about whether or not they are noticed or not. Where when it comes to um, dresses that or clothes and outfits, or whether or not you uh, talk too much or too little at a social gathering or uh, at a at a business event. Uh, and, and and whether or not uh, uh, you're getting noticed on social media, which is sort of an epidemic out there. So, Nate, let me bring you in with this question um, ab- about what you th- your thoughts are about uh, getting noticed and whether or not you even care about it. So pi- opine on that, my friend. Well, I think there's two categories of people. There's the people that would be disappointed to find out that nobody really notices or about them. And then there's also the category of people that are relieved that nobody really notices. I'm in that later category. Uh, I'm relieved to know that nobody really notices. And this sort of justifies me a little bit because, you know, my wife sometimes says, Nate, you wore that same thing to the Nashville Symphony gig last night and you slept in it. Are you really going to wear it again this morning? And I always say, oh, nobody notices, nobody cares. And so this sort of justifies me a little bit that um, maybe people don't really notice. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there's that. So uh, the, the, the story today is that there is a man who nobody notices until everybody does, and it creates quite a dust-up. The good news is, most especially, Jesus notices him. We're going to talk about that after we come back from, um, uh, after offer a prayer, as well as the music. I asked Nate to do today um, uh, a great piece from uh, Gregory Porter. He's a jazz great. I think this is uh, his album was uh, won a Grammy a couple of years ago, maybe 2017 or so. And, um, and, 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 and Nate, can you tell me a little bit about this, uh, this song that we're going to be singing? Yeah, it's called Take Me to the Alley. It's a beautiful jazz song. Um, <clears throat> has some great harmonies in it, some great lyrics as well that really fit with this morning's message. So, um, yeah, I was happy to do it, happy to learn about this new song, and uh, 
bring to the podcast this morning. Okay. Well, you and uh, when you sing it, um, you know, it's hard to, to to get up there to the level of Gregory Porter, but uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll 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 hit your marks on that. So here's the. Um, uh, here's the prayer, and I'll come back uh, with uh, talking about this story. The story is John 9, 1 through 41, and uh, I have the uh, link in the episode notes. Uh, as always, thanks to Sanctified Art, uh, the um, the image that will be appearing on this uh, episode is that uh, by uh, uh, Lao Gwen Garrity and her uh, painting, Insight. And uh, uh, we've been using uh, their liturgical helps and some of their insights during this Lenten season. So I want to um, express our thanks to them. Here's the prayer. Let us pray. God who gives me life, intellect, and passion. You have encompassed me with love, encouragement, and opportunity. So grant me now clarity and courage that I may commit your gifts to your good purposes. Let me no fear. Let me not fear the certainty of change. Neither forget the tendency of idolatry of self, but accept each as chastening gifts. Teach me discernment in failures and in fulfillments and wisdom in both that I may give the bounty of my bounded life in gratitude for your abundant life in Jesus Christ our Lord with you and the Spirit lives now and forever. Amen.
So in the setup, we talked about whether or not people notice and uh, whether or not they talk about us. Uh, that sounds a little narcissistic. I don't want to imply that at all. Uh, Tom uh, Gilovich, he's a psychologist at Cornell University, and he conducted a study with students. And this study is now uh, over 20 years ago, but I think it's still very, very relevant. So in this experiment, he asked students to uh, enter a classroom and that were filled with peers. And he had them enter the classroom wearing a Barry Manilow t-shirt. You know, the, the singer Barry Manilow. He's been around forever. Uh, the students were embarrassed uh, to be seen wearing the shirt. And at the time, this was not a cool thing to do. And probably, I don't know, maybe it's a classic now. And tends to, things tend to, that are classic tend to be uh, adopted here. But it, it may not still be a, a, a cool thing to do. Um, uh I do understand that Barry Manilow was in town uh, not long ago and gave one of the great concerts at Bridgestone Arena. Um, well, after the Cornell students uh, wore the Barry Manilow t-shirts in class, the students uh, estimated uh, what percentage their peers noticed the Manilow shirt and and likely talked about that shirt to other people. What do you think the, uh, the percentage was? Uh, well, the students said 50%, but in actuality, uh, in the survey... Only 20% had even noticed. Now, to some degree, this is uh, to be expected because each of us is the center of our universe. Uh, we focus on ourselves and we think other people do too, especially if we're a young child. Because, um, But no matter our age, we're so focused on our own behavior, it, it sometimes it's hard for us to assess how much or how little our behavior is noticed by others. Well, um, Gilovich's study has to do with something called the spotlight effect. The bottom line we're not as interesting as we think we are, and other people don't notice us as nearly as much as we think they do. And that fact either disappoints you or you may find it uh, and gives you great comfort. The spotlight effect is what it's known as. And it was both true and not true in the story from John 9 of the man born blind. It's a long story. It's one of the longer stories in Scripture. 
Um, it, and it's true that nobody took very much notice of him. The blind man was used to being overlooked. Isn't this the guy who begged? said one neighbor. I think so. I'm not sure, other neighbors said. And though if you read the story, he was the one born blind, it often felt as though the rest of the world was inflicted with a kind of a vision impairment. And as the man sat, and I'm imagining him begging, trying to scrape together enough to live each day in that time, as there was no safety net, most people walked past him, eyes averted. He couldn't see them, of course, but but he could feel and hear their footsteps as they came closer and then retreated. And perhaps he said, maybe I'm not just blind. Maybe I'm also invisible. That is, until Jesus came by one day. And the scene calls to mind the words of that song, Take Me to the Alley, that you heard just now. Will they build their house in preparation for the king? Let me just say a little bit of this, because uh, I think the lyrics are fantastic. Uh, and they line the sidewalks with every sort of shiny thing. They will be surprised when they hear me say, Take me to the alley. Take me to the afflicted ones. Take me to the lonely ones that somehow lost their way. And let them hear me say, I am your friend. Come to my table. Rest here in my garden. You will have a pardon. Well, the blind man hadn't sought out a miracle. He had become used to this life of daily begging and living on scraps. He had become used to being overlooked. So it was a bit uncomfortable when he heard, it must have been, when he heard a loud, large group stopping in front of him uh, and, and then hearing these words, teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind like this? Well, the blind man, I suspect, had heard this spiel before. He knew all the usual answers, that his parents had messed up and somehow he was the one to carry the brunt of their punishment, or that he had actually sinned in utero, somehow meaning that when he was born, he was already cursed. I imagine the man shrugging his shoulders at all of the conversations about him, but then he heard the teacher answer, no one sinned, neither him nor his parents. Look at the story, if you will, because you recall that what takes place next in the story is that Jesus spits on the ground, and out of the mud, he rubs and touches the blind man's eyes, and then comes the command of Jesus to go to the pool of Siloam, meaning sent. Again, if you look at this scripture passage, in seven verses, the gospel writer tells us that the man born blind is given sight. But after that, I counted them, 33 verses are devoted to the details of disagreement that swells after the healing. And from every side, this man is bombarded with questions. Now, before I move on, let me say something about that time and place and how, um, what was going on. You know, if you read the story, um, the story can be told and heard as anti-Jewish, but that would be inaccurate scholars would contend, for the story is the product of this sort of intra-Jewish conflict about the meaning of Sabbath law and the significance of Jesus. And what this story uh, is, is trying to call attention to the blinders of the Pharisees who function as authority figures and who cannot see and celebrate the miracle that's happening right before their eyes because they are so preoccupied with the observ observance of the Sabbath 
and of keeping Sabbath law. This lay movement of people who were intent on being religious and observing the law, um, they are so busy trying to keep the rituals going that they lose sight of what's happening. Well, well, back to, um, in, in the image of the episode, uh, I referenced that uh, artwork from uh, from Lyle Gwingarity. Uh She uses this, uh, uh, I use this piece, and, and she calls it Insight. And it's a painting based on the story of the healing of the blind man. And I read her artist statement, and she writes, uh, and she picks up on the seven verses and 33 verses uh, thing as well. In seven verses, she writes, the gospel writer tells us that a man born blind is given sight. But after that, the narrator devotes 33 verses to the details of disagreement that, that, that happen after the healing takes place. And in this image, uh, look at the, uh, as I'm, uh, after the episode is over, this image of the hands that are pointing fingers, expressing denial and exclusion. And then she writes this barrage of questions that she imagines uh, emerging from the crowd. Why did God heal you? What did you do to commit this? Who sinned? And along with the questions, she writes in all these statements that she's heard. And then she writes, I used to find the second part of the story, all that's 33 questions, tedious and exhausting in a world with constant conflict, I'm tired of li- listening to endless bickering. And we can say amen to that. But then she notes that in the second half of the story, she realizes that this encounter is hardly about physical he- healing or literal blindness. It's about, she says, how harmful theology can prevent us from seeing people, truly seeing them. It's about how our narrow imagination can harden into accusation and blame. It's about how we can be threatened by new ideas or shifts in someone's identity. It's about how our doctrine can lead to exile. Unfortunately, it's a story about our resistance to change. Can this be a cautionary tale for us? End quote, she writes. I find that in the story of healing, the very definition of what is a disability is expanded. It's not a disability as a result of moral failure, Jesus makes clear. And the man born blind was not the only one with a disability. And his disability was not just the loss of being normal as he lost physical or never had physical sight. But those in the crowd... And the Pharisees also had a disability. And I feel like the blindness and disability that they had was the blindness of certainty. Isn't it the case that so often we want to believe, but only on our own terms? Isn't it the case that we can turn genuine struggles of human life into these sort of solvable formulas of cause and effect. And as Bruce Reese Child says, it ends up getting warped into the idea that if something bad is happening to us, it is because God has determined that we deserve it. 
That's true as it gets formalized into church and culture. And the need for our own security and certainty does not stop there. Bruce Reese Chow says, rather than give God credit for the healing and new life because it would lessen the perception of power and authority of the religious leaders of that day, the rational cause and effect argument from the, begin- from the beginning is ignored and replaced with the position of, we know what we know and nothing you do or say will change our minds. And it's not a difficult leap for today's application. We know people are poor because. We know people are incarcerated because. We know people are sick because. We know a child who reads this book might be made uncomfortable about stories from our history. We know, we know, we know. But do we? Remember how I started out with the experiment of the spotlight effect and the reality is that people notice you less than you think and that truth brings either great discomfort or great peace? I cannot say this with certainty, but I suspect, and I'm making an assumption here, that most people who are librarians find great comfort in not being noticed. But people these days around the country, and certainly here in Tennessee and in Middle Tennessee and in Hendersonville, Tennessee, to be specific, at a library there, are finding libraries and librarians very interesting. And it seems that a real effort is underway to bring them into the spotlight through this kind of pharisaic action of some who profess to be Christians. And it's a cautionary tale what has been going on in the library in Hendersonville and is a textbook case of how some religious leaders created an incident and used media to hype the faux outrage and the grievance that they felt, which they created, and then used real threats to the jobs, in this case, a librarian, the director of the Hendersonville Sumner County Library System, was fired. You can read about it, and I've put the Tennessean article in our episode notes. And that lives were threatened as a bomb threat came in, as a means of bringing even more attention to the project to shame and denigrate people while lifting up how great God is and how great America is. God is good, and I am proud to be an American, but what makes us great and what makes us faithful when it comes to the Gospels is when we seek understanding and common ground without denigrating and objectifying certain people. But I want to let all that go. But my concern amid all of that intentional dust-up being created is that there are people who are in need of what Jesus and the church and our faithful response has to offer, but in light of what they see, such as the action in Hendersonville, they'll say, if that is what Christianity is, thanks, but no thanks, I don't need that judgmentalism and shaming. So this morning, having and in the recording of this, having named our disability of blind certainty, I want to set aside all of those 33 verses, but I don't want to lose sight of what takes place in those seven verses for fear of losing the blind man and losing the truth that Jesus is in the alleyways. And surrounded by remnants of this narrow vision, I don't want to lose sight that the man has new insight. He looks beyond the words, beyond the crowd, beyond the accusations, driving him out of town. You know, no one asked the man how he was feeling. No one asked the man what he would do now. 
But the man said, and the scriptures want to make clear, that he said the only true thing that he knew anymore. Look, all I know is this. I was blind, and now I can see. Through this miraculous act, Jesus invited the man to take on the identity of one who experienced divine restoration. The healing of the man's physical blindness was an outward sign of a holistic transformation which the man experienced that day. No longer was this man required to live into the identity imposed upon him by a community who had no desire but to judge and condemn. This is the good news. This is the good news that I do not want us to lose sight of. And I don't want us to lose sight of the truth that Jesus turns the table on those who have controlled this man's narrative about who is sinful and who is not, who is worthy of life and who is not. Jesus stands up for the life of the weak, the sick, and the vulnerable. He comes to those who need him, not only with words and expressions of sympathy, but with action. Healing the sick, giving love and companionship to the despised and rejected sinners, taking to the alleyway, and in our own lives and as a people of faith, we can help counter the discrimination by standing up alongside those in our society who may have disabilities or those who are being marginalized, listening to them, honoring them and their stories, celebrating their gifts as beloved ones of God. There must always be space in our society, in our churches, in our own lives, and in the gospel of Jesus Christ for grace and reconciliation as Jesus so often showed us during his earthly ministry. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining East Brentwood Presbyterian Church today for music, hope, word, and prayer. To learn more about the life and ministry of EBPC, our commitment to being a Matthew 25 congregation, or to support this ministry with a financial contribution, visit us at our website, ebpctn.org, or visit us on Facebook at East Brentwood PC, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, EBPC Videos. (music) 